Turn with me this morning to Psalms, to Psalm 63. This will be our uh, new Psalm of the Month for October. Uh, 63 Selection A is what we'll be singing this month. And so we're going to take this week to look at this Psalm together and then return to Mark next week. Um, look at the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin and the denials of Peter, uh, if you want to read ahead for that. Before reading, just consider a couple of things with me. Uh, first, that, that true satisfaction is elusive and rare. Uh, something that illustrated that to me several years ago, there was a, a Gallup poll, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by polls and surveys, um, that came out on satisfaction uh, among the American people uh, around Christmas time. And it, it rated, it, it asked people, surveyed people on their satisfaction in 10 categories. Uh, and asked them to rate from 1 to 10 uh, their satisfaction, and it, and it reported as a, a percentage um, between 1 and 10. So the, the, the areas were family, friends, health, where you live, religion, romance, personal growth, career, fun and recreation, and money. And uh, amazingly, only one category of all of those uh, in this large survey came back over 50%, over a, a five in satisfaction. That was family. Um, personal growth, career, fun and recreation were all 25% or lower uh, satisfaction among Americans. And then money, uh, finances, in one of the you know, most affluent, prosperous nations in the history of the world, uh, rated at 14%. Um, how do you rate your satisfaction, your happiness, your contentment. Um, and more importantly, where does it come from? What's that built on? If you're like me, you're tempted at times to think of something in life, circumstance, or an amount of money, or something that you would, would make you more fulfilled, would make you more content, just a little more secure. Um, another powerful illustration of, of that uh, was an, an article, it's about 25 years old now, but from the U.S. World News and, US News and World Report. Um, included a survey on the American dream. And so it was asking um, Americans what it would take for each respondent uh, in terms of income, in terms of finances, to feel like they were comfortably living the American dream. So it wasn't asking, you know, what, what is your wildest dreams? You know, what, how much money would you like to have? But, but, you know, where would you barely feel like you, were, you, you, you sort of arrived? You could comfortably live the American life. Um, not maybe too surprisingly, those in the lowest category, those making under $25,000 a year, which is a low income in the United States, uh, their average answer was $54,000. So they, they, about double, right? If, if I was making about double, they said I would feel like I'm living comfortably the American life. Um, you know, logically, you might think then people making $54,000 a year would, on average, say, they're living a comfortable American life. That, that's, that's not what, what happened. Jump all the way up to the category uh, of those asked who were making $100,000 a year. Uh, you know, at, at what level would you feel like you're living comfortably in American life? And their average answer was $195,000. Again, fascinatingly, almost double, about double their income. And, and, and the conclusion of this survey was no matter your income, in the United States, $25,000, $100,000, satisfaction for those responding lay at about double their income, no matter what it was. 
In Psalm 63, we have the words of a thoroughly satisfied, rejoicing person. And yet someone, David here, who's in the middle of a a horrible ordeal, as as we'll see. Um, And it's through these hard and perhaps maybe to us unimaginable circumstances that we get a glimpse of his satisfaction in God, uh, in our God, um, and his longing for that, his security and joy in God. Uh, We often hear of or we talk about in our Bible studies or in Christian circles, we, we use phrases like finding our joy in God or being content um, in our circumstances. But I want you to really think carefully this morning uh, about those things. Be, be honest. Examine your heart. Where is your satisfaction? Uh, in, in what do you hope for it? Um, if the answer that comes immediately to your mind is, is God, that's good. That's that's the right answer, the ultimate answer. It's also sort of an easy answer for us who are familiar in talking about these things, easy, at least. Um, and unless you're maybe more sanctified, far more than most of us, uh, your heart is probably more complicated than that. Um, we see in Psalm 63 the divinely appointed means to really being satisfied uh, in the only thing that can give you real and forever satisfaction, which is knowing and belonging to God. Um, And we'll see what that looks like. So let's read together. I'm going to read the whole psalm here, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Let's just think for a moment first about what what gave rise to this psalm. Why David wrote these words. And we have a more descriptive heading than, than most of the psalms here. If you look back at that, it says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, So not a lot of information. Um, We're left to speculate a bit, but there are some some, um, key possibilities in in 1 and 2 Samuel when this could have been. When was David in the wilderness um, uh, in in his life from what we know? Well, there there are really two main possibilities. So the first is when, when David was fleeing from Saul for his life. When Saul was, a couple of times, chasing David around and, and trying to kill him. Uh, David was hiding in the wilderness. Uh, the, the second possibility, and, and considering the fact that in verse 11, David refers to himself as the king. It's in third person, but almost certainly talking about himself. Um, because of that, traditionally, and, and scholars generally agree, agree that, that this probably wasn't that circumstance. David wasn't king yet when Saul was chasing him around. The other good possibility is when David was running from Absalom, from his son. 
Um, you know that story from 2 Samuel 15 to 18. Uh, his son Absalom had been working on this treasonous plan for a while. He set himself up in the gate in Jerusalem and you know, became buddies with everybody coming in and, and helped them and heard their cases and, and sort of acted like a, a helpful judge for them. And he gained a following and eventually he gathered everyone, all his supporters and an army together at Hebron and pronounced himself king. And then they marched on Jerusalem. And so David and his family in Jerusalem and, and some of the people in the city had to quickly escape. They had to flee Jerusalem for their lives because Absalom was coming. Um, and they ran out into the, into the wilderness. Um, it says they went out to the plains of the wilderness there in Second Samuel. Um, David left a couple of sympathetic priests behind in Jerusalem uh, who might be able to inform him about what was going on. And uh, one of the priests came out at one time and said, you know, Absalom's making plans to come out after you, to kill you. And so David and his family went even further. And they crossed the Jordan and went even further into the desert. And Second Samuel 17 says that they were hungry and weary and thirsty. Well, it's not exactly the setting we might expect uh, for a psalm about complete satisfaction. I, I, haven't, I know in my life I haven't suffered in, in many of the ways that many of you have. Uh, but it's probably hard for all of us to imagine uh, David's circumstances. Uh, living away from any of the modern comforts and conveniences that we have. Living in the desert. Um, uh, starving you know, just hygienically and, and so on. Um, imagine David taking the Gallup poll from Christmas a few years ago. You know, David, how's your satisfaction? How would you rate your satisfaction with your family? Well, my oldest son is chasing me, trying to kill me at the moment, and the rest of my family's in danger, suffering in the wilderness. David, how would you rate your health satisfaction? Oh, we're hungry and weary and thirsty, as 2 Samuel 17 says. How would you rate your satisfaction where you live? Well, he's been forced from his home and living in the desert, life we couldn't imagine David, how would you rate your, rate your career satisfaction? Well, it's, it's sort of looking like a mistake, maybe, now. Pretty dangerous career and, and maybe over, right? How would you rate your satisfaction in romance and fun and recreation? Well, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of those things when you're starving in the desert, running for your life. And yet David in this psalm describes the rich satisfaction he has in God. And, and before we look at the details of it here, I just... Just think of the circumstances in your life, again, that are either propping up your, your contentment, your satisfaction, or maybe ruining your, your contentment or satisfaction. Uh, maybe relationships, or broken relationships, or your work, or stress in work, or your school, or family, or maybe a death, or an illness, or finances, or affluence. But let's look at these in light of the example that we see in, in David's longings and his confessions and joy in this psalm. So looking at number one in your outline there, the, the basic note of this song, if you will, is complete satisfaction in God. Complete satisfaction in God. So verses four and five. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied. David praises God here with the, the symbolism of lifting up his hands, which, which in the Old Testament is a symbol not of, of sending worship up to God, but of receiving. It's, it's a 
symbol of need and of receiving from God. And what is he receiving? Satisfaction. My soul is satisfied. And it, it, this is not the word soul as, as we use it in English exactly, soul versus body. This is, uh, the Hebrew word is, is your whole life, your whole self. David is suffering in many ways, but he's secure and satisfied. His, his soul has what it most wants and needs, is what he's saying. And that's not to say that this kind of satisfaction is uh, ignoring suffering or calling it something good or saying that evil is good. But rather, it's an acknowledgement of a God who's sovereign over those things. who's working through them, who's working to redeem his people from them. It's an acknowledgement that nothing, no one but God can satisfy our souls, can provide for our greatest needs forever. And that the description he uses of his dissatisfaction here is a huge contrast with his outward circumstances, right? Suffering, starving in the desert. But he uses the language of physical satisfaction and longing to describe his satisfaction in God. Verse 5 how does he describe it there? My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. There, there's two different words there in, in Hebrew, but they both basically mean fat or fatness. And uh, my Bible has a, a note that says that, that they both mean basically the same thing. Uh, the, the first word that's translated marrow here, it, me- means, it, it means figuratively, it means fat, but it means figuratively the, the best part, just the, the best there could be of something. And the rest of the Bible uses this occasionally to, uh, in that way. So in Genesis 45, there's an interesting use of that. Uh, Pharaoh is talking to Joseph, and he's offering to Joseph uh, land for his family to come to Egypt and live because he's so thankful for what Joseph has done. He says, take your father and your household and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat, literally, the fat of the land. Uh, not literally fat, but you can have the best part of Egypt is what he's saying. Uh, Psalm 81, God's promise to his people is, I would feed you with the fat of the wheat, right? The, the best of the produce uh, is, is God, how, how God's promise is pictured there. The other word means basically the same thing with the, the figurative meaning of, of abundance, of, of luxuriance. That's, that's the metaphor David uses for his satisfaction in God. And what a, what a great metaphor for a satisfied soul. We all know what it's like to be satisfied by a rich, delicious, luxurious meal. We're going to share a, a, a rich, delicious meal together today. Um, maybe you think especially of the holidays, of a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal, and, and the satisfaction uh, that that gives. Again, it's amazing David can use this language as he's starving in the desert. Um, I think my attitude tends to be if I only had this or only had that, the choicest food, I, I would be fully satisfied. But, but this is how David sees his relationship with God. God is the best there is. He is fully satisfying uh, in and of himself. Again, I, I struggle daily to have that perspective, to see God in those terms, to really value him in that way. And I, I ask you as well, how about you? Uh, it's, it's easy enough to recognize that is the teaching of scripture, but how do you have this perspective, this attitude, this satisfaction? Um, so I want to look at six aspects of this uh, through the rest of uh, our time this morning. The six aspects that come out of or, or give rise to um, this kind of satisfaction that we can work towards 
that this psalm points us towards. Um, and, and I want us to remember as we go along the ultimate fulfillment of David in his office, of David's longings in the psalms, is Christ. Um, our ultimate, only perfect, perfect example in these things is, is our Lord Jesus. The first thing the psalm teaches us is to eagerly seek your God. Uh, eagerly seek your God. Look how the psalm begins. O God, you are my God, and I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David writes of intense, eager longing, thirsting, yearning for God. Um, he says, I, I shall seek you earnestly. Uh, and the NAS has a, a note that tells you that that word is literally early. And figuratively, it means earnestly. But, but we can understand that, that idiom uh, looking for something early. You get up in the morning, it's the first thing you're thinking about. Um, I, I'm not one who takes a long time for my metabolism to get going. I wake up thinking about breakfast. I eagerly seek my breakfast every morning. That's, that's kind of the sense of this, early. Uh, the u- use of the word early here. Um, David's using his circumstances to turn his thoughts towards his deeper need. He... he uses figuratively his being in a dry and weary land where there is no water to describe how his, his spiritual longing for God it points to what any life apart from God is spiritually. Does that describe your understanding of your need for God, your understanding of the, the value of close fellowship with God? Practice like David, using your circumstances, especially when they're hard, to point you to, remind you of your deeper need, a deeper source of satisfaction. Note, uh, particularly here, that that David is not expressing longing in this psalm for the benefits of God. He's not expressing longing for what God might give him or do for him. He's expressing longing for God himself. Isn't it incredible? We don't, there's no prayer in this psalm, though we can expect David prayed for these things. There's no prayer for food and water and shelter. Uh, he's expressing his satisfaction in God himself. Um, if, if you want to desire God in that way, you need to know him. You need to know that he's your highest uh, good and satisfaction. If, if you don't know him that way, you don't fully know him. You have, you have growing to do in knowing him, as, as I do. Um, so seek him, look for him. You primarily do that through his word. Uh, David speaks on remembering him, meditating on him in, in verse 6. We, we reflect on God's word and what it reveals to us about God. Deuteronomy 4 promises, You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your soul. So ask God for that kind of desire. Secondly, practice God's presence. The psalm teaches us to practice God's presence. We cultivate satisfaction in God by seeking his presence, which is what David's doing in verse 2. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. That's, that's Lord, why I've particularly found your presence in the sanctuary, the temple. This is a consistent desire in the psalms some of the recent psalms I've, I've preached from have something similar to this this desire for the presence of God there are often references to the temple that place where God is his presence and his love and his care for people is particularly visible and, and symbolized it expresses this desire to consciously be in the presence of God 
How many times have you had a, a rough day or discouraging day only to realize at some point that you've, you've been not thinking about, mindful of the Lord and his presence or his calling on your life at all in that day? You've been totally self-consumed, worried with things around you. We can be mindful of God's presence in a sense, uh, place ourselves in God's presence consciously throughout the day. Um, it's a way to remember who we are in him, that we have everything in him. Of course, a, a most important way to do that is through prayer. Um, are you practicing the presence of God in prayer daily and even throughout the day? Uh, it's a way to powerfully not only experience regular fellowship with God, but but also to discipline ourselves in satisfaction and contentment and where, where that truly comes from. Uh, letter C, thirdly, <clears throat> remember God's covenant. Remember God's covenant. Another way to put that in terms of this psalm would be to, to see the big picture. Verse 3, David says, Because your loving kindness is better than life. There's a comparison David is making here that's, that's at the heart of his satisfaction with God. Your loving kindness is better than life. Loving kindness is translating the well-known Hebrew word hesed. You've probably heard that word before, hesed. Sometimes it's, in older translations, it's translated your mercy. Uh, sometimes it's love. Um, here, loving kindness. None of those things by itself, um, none of those words captures completely what, what hesed is. It's, it's God's... Covenant faithfulness is, is unfailing love and mercy to his people that, that can't be messed up, that, that will never end. Um, in, our, in our Psalter, it has said is always translated steadfast love, which I think is a good, uh, good translation of it. The other word, he compares that to life. And life, not, not just living, like breathing, you're alive, but this word means fullness of life, healthy, uh, continuous, satisfied life. And so David is saying, Lord, you're... Your said, your faithful love to me is better even than the, it's more important than, more significant than full, uh, healthy, continuous life without God. Um, that's really, again, the message of Ecclesiastes that, that the men have been studying on Saturday morning. Solomon is saying, I've, I've tried everything there is to try in life uh, without reference to God and, and his wisdom. Um, I've tried to find satisfaction, and, and as you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world, I could, I could pursue anything, any option, and I've come up empty with all of them. Another way to say what David is recognizing here is the, the big picture. He doesn't miss the forest of God's plan, God's sovereignty, God's covenant for the tree of his, his life, or that day, or the, the hard thing that he's struggling with that day. He's saying, my, my relationship with you, Lord, is more significant than uh, my circumstances. There's an interesting uh, account that, that sort of illustrates this from uh, David in the wilderness running from Absalom in 2 Samuel 15 to 18. Um, so David and his family are way out in the wilderness hiding out from Absalom. And, and I said earlier he'd left a couple of sympathetic priests there to you know, secretly relay information and at one point, one of the, the priests, Zadok, comes out to, to David, where David and his family are, uh, with the Ark, with the Ark of the Covenant from the temple. And Zadok is treating the Ark there as kind of like a good luck charm. Like, this you know, this will help us be, you know, be luckier, be, be safer. And um, the Ark was a, you know, very important 
thing appointed by God, but it wasn't God himself. And so David commands Zadok to you know, take that thing back to the temple where it belongs. That's not what's going to protect us. He says, carry the ark of God back to the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see the city and the temple. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. That just prompts us to ask, how how can we diminish our own importance and plans and esteem the plans and the faithfulness of God and and, uh, hold high his covenant and his sovereignty? Uh, Another way to understand and practice and know satisfaction in God, letter D, is to cling to God. The song uh, speaks of clinging to God. There are actually two, two metaphors that David uses for God's protection here in verses 7 and 8. Uh, the, the first, briefly, is this. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. The, the figure there is of a, a baby bird right, in a nest, and taking shelter under the shadow, under the mother bird's wing. And it's a place the bird sings for joy. The bird uh, is happy and content and secure there. And again, that doesn't describe David's outward circumstances at all, but it describes uh, the reality of his being with God. Then verse 8 says, my soul clings to you. My soul clings to you. There's actually, uh, there's another word in in Hebrew that uh, the NAS left out um, that some translations uh, include. Uh, I'm not sure why it's left out here, but the word behind or after is also there. So the New King James uh, translates it this way. My soul follows close behind you. And that's probably a little bit more precise translation, although you know that, that could involve clinging uh, and, is, and is closely related to that. Um, it's probably something you've seen uh, or experienced many times. You've seen a, a child following close behind their parent for safety I mean, in a setting where they're a little uns- unsure, unsecure, uh, maybe even clinging to their parents' pants. Uh, sometimes, maybe even more often, if your kids are like mine, we have to tell our kids to do that. You know, stay close behind me, hold onto my hand, hold onto the cart, or, or whatever it is. But a child will do that when, when they're uh, insecure. Um, David's expressing here a conscious decision to do that, to, to stay close behind God always, to, to obey him, to trust him, to follow him. Um, again, you, you will willingly do that. You'll willingly cling to what you know well and what you trust, what you want. Uh, a child will do that with their parent because they, they know the parent knows them and will protect them uh, and, and care for them. Um, and a couple more notes under this point here. One is that, the, that this picture of, of clinging to God that David gives us is not of uh, trouble came up and, and so David ran to God and, and clung to him. No, he's already, he's already there. Right? He was already there. Uh, I'm going to continue to cling to you, Lord. Uh, we can think of uh, being prepared for hard things in that way. And then uh, another interesting note on verse 8 is that as you cling closely to God, obeying him, remembering him, trusting him, you find, as David did here, that God is really the one hanging on to you. Uh, look at verse 8 again. My soul clings to you, but your right hand hold, upholds me. Right? When, it, when a parent is leading a small child by the hand, you know, maybe across some ice or across a busy street or something like that. It's not really the, the child's grip that matters so much as, as the parent's. 
Right? And, and David says, I, you know, from my perspective, I'm consciously following close behind, clinging to you, Lord, but I recognize you're really the one that's holding on to me. That's, that's really where my security is. It's in your grip. Letter E. The psalm teaches us to trust his justice and calling. Trust his justice and calling. Look at verse 9. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. Uh, It might seem like at at verse 9 the psalm takes a a rather negative turn, uh, or maybe even a vengeful turn. Um, it's, it's kind of different from the rest of the psalm, but it's, it's not that kind of a, uh, an expression at all. It's David's continued expression of hope and confidence in God, in God's justice. Because God is a God of justice and vindication, those who are doing evil in the world will, will not be the ones who are blessed in the end. He speaks of those who seek my life, those who are trying to kill him, those who are telling lies. This is David's reality. And running from Absalom and his men, he's confident that they will ultimately fail because of God's promises and God's grace. God will oppose and ultimately defeat all those who oppose his people. Verse 11, contrary to those who use their mouths for evil or for, for, for lies, those who swear by him, who swear by God, will glory. They'll share in this joy and satisfaction of knowing God as, as their protection. And I just call you to the, your attention to how David particularly describes himself in verse 11 as well. He says, but the king will rejoice in God. Why does, why does he leave simply this simple first person there and, and speak third person about himself as the king? Well, one, one good possibility is that David's confidence is that he, as king, will have reason to, to continue and praise and cling to and find satisfaction in his God as king. His, his role, his calling as king is kind of in doubt outwardly right now. But he trusts God's promises to him as king, his call on his life. Uh, Derek Kidner comments on this, this phrase here. The royal title, king, becomes a reassertion of his calling, which was from God, and an avowal that this cannot fail. He writes, if David's faith in his kingly calling was well-founded, still more is the Christians. Kidner applies that to us in our callings as well. Not that we can know infallibly how long our life will be or, or what we'll be doing uh, one year to the next, but, but to understand that your role as father, as mother, as student, as engineer, as neighbor is, is a calling from Jesus himself. That he will bless that as you seek him as you're faithful and trust him. So trust God's timing and his justice. Trust his calling on your life, uh, even when it's uncertain or frustrating. Um, Everyone who swears by him will glory. And then finally, letter F. The psalm teaches us to find satisfaction in God when we rejoice and praise him. Rejoice and praise him. Uh, Remember again David's horrible circumstances. Uh, And yet, hear his resolve to rejoice in God and and to keep praising him. Uh, Verse 3, my lips will praise you. Verse 4, I will bless you as long as I live. 
Verse 5, my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Verse 7, in, uh, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. And verse 11, everyone who swears by him will glory. The king will rejoice in God. You see how that's woven through the entire psalm there. If, if you're struggling to find satisfaction in God, struggling with contentment, take time to remember the reasons you have to rejoice in him and praise him. Take time to praise him, not only because God's worthy, because he's God. Um, singing God's praises in the Psalms is a means of grace by which God shapes your heart and draws you closer uh, to himself. I think one of the things that perhaps hinders our um, uh, ability to seek this kind of satisfaction is, is affluence and comfort. They can hinder our understanding of the depth and nature of, of the faith of the people we find in the Bible, for example. Um, it also conditions our own expectations of life. Um, our values, our ideals, our entitlements, um, our understanding of what it even means to be blessed. Uh, remember David's suffering, but more importantly, remember Christ's suffering. Remember Christ's uh, trust and confidence in the Father. Think of the words of the psalm in, in light of that. Think how remarkable it is again. The thing that David prays here and the things that he doesn't pray. My, my prayer would tend to be, again, uh, requests for food and comfort and rest and safety in David's circumstances. And again, he probably prayed for those things, but they didn't make it into his psalm here. The prayer that's recorded here is, let me be satisfied in you as I already am. And as we close, before we sing this psalm together, this, this expression of confidence and satisfaction in God, I want you, again, to look at your own heart. Where have you been dissatisfied? Which, which points ultimately to dissatisfaction in, in the God of all circumstances. How do you struggle with contentment? When, when you find those places in your life, those places in your thinking, you need to repent and ask God to show you what is true, that, that full satisfaction and joy are only in him. And that everything else, every, everyone else will, will disappoint in comparison. How much benefit to our lives and glory to God will result if we took this psalm's leading in seeking God and, and being more mindful of his presence and desiring his presence. And uh, seeing the big picture, remembering his covenant, and clinging to God and trusting him and praising him. So that we can say with David, I am satisfied, uh, as with a rich, huge meal of the best food that there is. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, help us to find our contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in you. uh, To see that you withhold no good thing from those who seek you, as your word says. Help us to seek you, to know you more fully, uh, more personally. Uh, that it would become uh, natural to us to cling to you uh, and to trust you as our Father. We pray all this uh, in the name of Christ. Amen.